Live by every word. That is the challenge and the opportunity the Bible gives to you. This program examines the actual words that have proceeded out of the mouth of God Himself so we can use them to guide our paths and live by them in our everyday lives. This is Live by Every Word. Thanks for joining me here on Live by Every Word. I'm Dwight Falk. This is Trumpet Radio 101.3 KPCG. We're online at kpcg.fm, and we have a live link at thetrumpet.com. All of our programming is available in podcast form at thetrumpet.com and kpcg.fm, or wherever you like to get your podcasts. Well, I recently was grocery shopping, and the uh, young man working the checkout was uh, talkative, and he was talking to all the different people coming through and buying their groceries, and he would try to think up some interesting question for them and have a little bit of banter back and forth. And so when it was my turn to check out, he asked me, he said, do you think that all dogs go to heaven? I think there was a movie by that name, so I think that's why he wanted to ask that question. But he said, do you think all dogs go to heaven? And I said, no. (laughs) And it shocked him. He was shocked by that. And then he asked me, well, do you think cats go to heaven? I said, no, I don't. But, you know, the thing that uh, he never asked, because I think he just assumed it to be something we would all agree on, is he did not ask if humans went to heaven. Do people go to heaven? He didn't ask that. And I think he didn't ask it because it's assumed that, well, everyone would agree with that. What about people? I mean, if they are good in this life, do they go to heaven when they die? Is that what happens? Christ said something very interesting about this. And you can look at John 3 with me if you'd like to. If you have a Bible handy, you could get it out. We could look at this together. John 3, Christ made a very specific statement about heaven. John 3 and verse 13, Christ said, And no man has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. He said no man had ascended to heaven. What about Abraham? And What about Moses? What about David? I mean, these people were... Uh, very righteous. They obeyed God. They had faith. They repented and changed when they had mistakes in their lives. I mean, they really were outstanding when it comes to obeying God and growing and developing his character, and yet they're not in heaven, apparently. That's what Christ said. No man has gone to heaven. The apostle Peter also had something interesting to say about heaven, and we read this in Acts 2 and verse 29. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. And then in verse 34, he says, For David is not ascended into the heavens. Not even David. David was a man after God's own heart. But yet Peter said, He's not ascended into heaven. If they didn't ascend to heaven, well, who would? Notice what is written in the Herbert W. Armstrong College Bible Correspondence Course. This is a free correspondence course, and it's available at thetrumpet.com. Please sign up for it if you don't have it. But it writes, what a paradox. Millions today believe the saved go to heaven. Yet righteous David didn't go there. We just read about that. And if the saved go to heaven when they die, what need is there for a resurrection from the dead? It's a great question. I mean, who would be resurrected? Why would there be a resurrection? Aren't they in heaven if they're good? 
He says, why a resurrection? The Course says, why a resurrection if they have already gone to their reward? Quote, unquote. Something to think about. See, people often just assume that, well, if somebody's good, they go to heaven. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say that. There's many different religions and cultures that have some sort of belief in going to an afterlife of some kind based upon good behavior. And if a person has bad behavior, then they have uh, a bad afterlife. Lots of religions believe that. It's not just people that say they're Christian. Lots of different religions and cultures believe that. Notice this quote. This is uh, from the 11th edition of the Encyclopedia Britannica. And it says, There is a bewildering variety in the views of the future life and world held by different peoples. The scene of the future life may be thought of as on earth or in some distant part of it or above the earth, in the sky, the sun, moon, or stars, or beneath the earth. The abodes of bliss and the places of torment may be distinguished, or one last dwelling place may be affirmed for all the dead. Sometimes the good find their abiding home with the gods. Sometimes a number of heavens of varying degrees of blessedness is recognized. That's what the Encyclopedia Britannica wrote in its 11th edition. But there's all kinds of beliefs out there, some sort of an afterlife. And they vary to a certain extent, but there's, there's kind of a common thought that that will happen. People will die, and if they're good, they'll go to a good place, and if they're bad, they go to a bad place. And people take those ideas for granted. If they grew up hearing them, they just sort of assume they're true and don't think probably a lot about it until either they are close to death or somebody else they know quite well dies. Modern so-called Christianity actually takes many of its ideas about heaven from pagan beliefs. They don't take it from the Bible, because as we read, Christ said no man has ascended to heaven, except for himself, obviously. But true Christians, those that are really obeying God and have God's Spirit, they take their beliefs from the Bible. They take their beliefs from the Bible, so we need to look at what the Bible says about heaven. That's the only way we can know. We'll never know any other way. We could have opinions and ideas and uh, our own thoughts, which is usually what happens. We could be like the young man at the grocery store and sort of banter about it. But what does the Bible say? Well, notice this quote here from the Correspondence Course before we get into a few more passages. It's as astounding as it may seem, neither Jesus nor his apostles taught that the righteous go to heaven. Now, you know, that would be a real shocker for many people, but you can look in your Bible, you won't find it. It says, notice what this secular encyclopedia has to say. This is the New International Encyclopedia, the first edition from an article titled Heaven. It says, the dominant view in the early church, so this is talking about, you know, not long after Christ was alive and then was crucified and resurrected, It says, the dominant view in the early church seems to have been that until the return of the Lord upon the clouds of heaven to raise the dead, those who had died were asleep, and that they would be suddenly awakened to be given their new bodies, after which they would reign with him on earth for a thousand years. See, that's what was taught, because that is biblical. (laughs) 
That is what was taught for a time because that's what Christ taught. It's biblical. God's apostles never taught the concept of going to heaven. That concept did not come from Christ. So if Christ didn't teach it, it's not in the Bible, the apostles never taught it, but it's a common belief today and teaching today, where did it come from? Where did it come from? How come so many people believe in some sort of a going to heaven or something similar? Well, of course, it gets back to pagan philosophies. The correspondence course notes Hellenistic philosophy, which had borrowed heavily from ancient Egyptian mythology, began to be taught instead of the teachings of the Bible as a source of doctrine. So people that consider themselves to be religious should probably stop and ask. It's a good question to ask. Well, what's the source of my belief? Is it the Bible or is it something else? Because if it's not from the Bible, then what is it? It's not from God. The quote continues and says, Prevailing concepts such as the immortality of the soul, an ever-burning hell, purgatory, and heaven all came directly out of ancient mythology. That's where it came from. Those ideas aren't in the Bible. They come out of mythology. Now, people have those ideas because they've been taught them as a tradition down through the mythology, and then they try to find something in the Bible that they think might relate to it and say, well, it's from the Bible, but it's not. It's mythology. The popular church, the quote says, to become more acceptable to potential pagan converts, adopted and taught these pagan philosophies rather than the plain teachings of the Bible. So if you look at religion today and different churches, one of the main goals, probably the main goal, is to get as many people in the door as possible. It's more money. It's more power. I guess maybe they feel like they're doing a good work. But they want to get as many people in the door as possible. And this has been going on for a long time. And so, well, how would a church go about accomplishing that? Well, try to appease everyone. Try to have a teaching or a series of teachings that people like. Something that seems good to them, um, but it is broad enough to bring everybody in. And we see that all the time. There's even, even now in modern times, there's controversies about different social movements. And some churches say, well, that's fine. You know, do whatever you want. Come on in. You know, just come on in <laughs> because they want to get as many people in the door as possible. This has been going on for a long time. Modern Christianity, so-called, is a mixing of pagan doctrines with the name of Christ because they wanted people to come to their group. So they said, well, let's mix up these pagan doctrines and we'll put the name of Christ on it. And so people grow up in these different religious groups and they think, well, that's, that's right. I mean, that's, that's what the Bible teaches, but they've never looked in the Bible, not really, to actually see what Christ said and what the apostles wrote and what the prophets wrote. These false ideas, these pagan ideas, were so prevalent, they're so prevalent today, that people just simply believe it. Like, well, everybody couldn't be wrong, could they? Well, many people are, and the Bible says so. Christ warned that this would happen. He warned about it. This has not caught God, the Father of Jesus Christ, off guard. They knew exactly what would happen in this way, and they um, 
prophesied about it, Christ prophesied. He warned that false religion would emerge and would, in fact, be a major sign that he is soon to return. And you can see this in Matthew 24, this very pivotal chapter. Many uh, prophecies here that uh, outline what will happen between Christ's first coming and his second coming. Matthew 24, verses 3 through 5. It says, And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of your coming and the end of the world, or the end of the age, the end of man's rule, without obedience to God and God's government? Verse 4 says, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Verse 5, For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Now, just to clarify that statement there, Christ wasn't saying that some human being would show up and say, hey, everyone look at me, I'm Christ, and people would believe it and follow. There might be a few extremists that have tried that to some, ex- some extent, but that wouldn't get most people's attention, other than a <laughs> shout-out on the news, maybe. But this would be something that would deceive many, many people. And so what he means here, and what he's saying, is that people would come along saying that Christ is Christ. In other words, we believe in Christ. We believe he lived. You know, We love Christ. We believe him. We follow him. And call their religions Christianity. But what they're actually doing is keeping pagan practices. But it's given the name Christianity. They put Christ's name on it. And they might mention the Bible or pull a passage or two out, something that they like. But for the most part, they're keeping pagan doctrines. Christ warned about that, and he said it would be deceptive. Take heed that no man deceive you. And many people are deceived by this because it looks pretty good, and it has the name of Christ on it. But it's not following what Christ taught. This emergence of this false religion is recorded in Acts 8. In Acts 8. Now, you know, pagan practices have been going on for a long time, but there's a religion that came on the scene that uh, after the time of Christ that took the name of Christ and yet kept the pagan practices. And this history is recorded in Acts 8. Acts 8 and verse 5, it says, And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. He was teaching the truth, the true gospel message, good news of the soon coming kingdom and family of God, the same message that Christ preached. And he was preaching, of course, that people needed to repent, be baptized, be forgiven of their sins, and that Christ's sacrifice would pay the penalty for those sins once they were repented of. Verse 6 says, And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spoke, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. So he was having a lot of success. People liked what he said, and they liked what he did. Verse 7, this is kind of a, a disturbing bit of history here, but it shows you what was happening in Samaria. It says, For unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and that were lame and healed. They were healed. And there was great joy in that city. So that city had a lot of demons, and they were influencing people very heavily. And there's a reason for that. Verse 9 says, But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time In the same city used sorcery, and he bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one. So he wanted to be important. 
and he bewitched the people. He used sorcery to do it. He was heavily involved with demons, pagan doctrines, and the people believed him, and he deceived them. Verse 10 says, To whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest. Everybody thought Simon was pretty important. And they were said, This man is the great power of God. Wow, this man is the great power of God. So they were really impressed by what he was doing. But again, he was bewitching the people, as we have just read about there. Verse 18 says, And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands, moving down in the history here a little bit, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money. See, he saw what was happening. He saw there was some real power here in the power of God's Spirit. And he said, oh, I want to be in on that. And he offered them money, saying, verse 19, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Spirit. In verse 20, But Peter said unto him, Your money perishes with you, because you have thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. See, to receive God's Holy Spirit, there are conditions. First of all, God has to call somebody and begin to open their minds, and then they have to repent and be baptized, change the way that they're living, submit their lives to God. Simon wasn't interested in any of those things. He just wanted God's power. And so he said, well, how much does it cost? (laughs) What do I have to pay you for it? He didn't understand that it can't be bought. It's a gift. But there are conditions to receive that gift. Verse 21 says, you have neither, this is Peter again talking to Simon. He says, you have neither part nor lot in this matter. You know, you've got nothing to do with this. Now, keep in mind, this was hard for Simon because he had been thought of as some great one. And here he's being rebuked pretty strongly. It says, for your heart is not right. In the sight of God. That was the problem that Simon had. His heart wasn't right. If he had repented, if he had changed, if his heart was right and God was calling him, well then, certainly, certainly God would have worked with him, but his heart wasn't right. He didn't repent. And so he had no part in this. Verse 22 says, Repent therefore of this your wickedness and pray God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. See, Peter didn't know for sure there, of course. This this man, Simon, was in a pretty bad way. Verse 23, For I perceive, Peter said, that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Now, Mr. Fleury writes about this history, this time period, in the true history of the true church, and that's free at thetrumpet.com. Please request that if you don't have it. It's a fascinating book. It says, Satan has deceived an enormous number of religious people, including you know, the, the major religions you can think of, and even, he says, those in God's true church, into turning that spectacular grace into a license to disobey. So they wanted to be forgiven of sins, but they didn't want to repent. So they, wanted to, they liked certain aspects of what Christ taught, but they didn't want to obey God. Mr. Fleury writes, they teach that we don't need to keep, quote-unquote, that old law, the Ten Commandments. That doctrine of lawlessness is what that great false church is all about. There's this false church teaching about these things. Doctrine of lawlessness. That was its beginning, and that is the way it is and will be to the end. And that lie is precisely what Simon Magus preached. He was bound up in lawlessness. Lawlessness. Sometimes it'll be translated as iniquity, and that seems a little more 
uh, tame, I guess, but it means lawlessness. He was caught up in lawlessness, the bond of lawlessness, as we read there in verse 23. Jesus Christ, the quote continues, came to earth and died for our sins. And you can be sure that Satan is going to counterfeit something so important. Simon was Satan incarnate. Again, who is really in the bond of lawlessness? Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 show that this is Satan's lifestyle. It's the way he lives. He hates the law. He turned away from God, turned a third of the angels away from God, turned this world away from God, and in this end time, even turned most of God's own people. He turned most of God's own people away from God. He is in the bond of lawlessness, and he has frightening power to deceive and to destroy. See, Satan ultimately is behind false religion, false ideas, false thoughts. And so Satan's false religion, false Christianity, it uses the name of Christ, but it teaches lawlessness and false doctrines, including the false idea of people going to heaven when they die. See, that sounds like a nice thing. People would think, oh, that's kind of a nice idea, go to heaven when you die. Well, they just wanted people to get into their group, into their organization. They had different ideas that they would tell them about, but they weren't biblical ideas. They were pagan ideas. People have been teaching about going to some sort of afterlife place long before Christ came on this earth. Those pagan doctrines are still being taught. Only now, Christ's name is attached to it. And Satan uses false religion. And again, you have to remember, you can read about it in the book of Revelation. It looks good. You know, it looks like a, it looks like a lamb, but it speaks like a dragon. False ideas, false concepts, including this false idea of going to heaven. All these false teachings are designed for one purpose, and that is to destroy the truth of the gospel, the good news of the soon coming kingdom and family of God. See, the truth about what happens to people after they die is much more spectacular <laughs> than uh, these false pagan ideas. What happens to people after they die, as we've talked about in other programs and we'll continue to look at as we go through different shows and, and different episodes, is the fact that man has an incredible human potential, an incredible human potential to actually be born into the family of God. It's far greater than any pagan idea, and it's true. And you can learn a lot more about that by studying the incredible human potential and also signing up for the Herbert W. Armstrong College Bible Correspondence Course. That's all the time we have for today on this edition of Live by Every Word. Thanks for spending some time with me. I'm Dwight Falk. Until next time, let's all strive to more perfectly live by every word of God. You've been listening to Live by Every Word on Trumpet Radio 101.3 KPCG and online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.